0: A long time ago. <laughs> Jen's going, <"Yeah>, oh. <laughs> We were in Ohio visiting her dad and her stepmom. And for lunch one day, we decided to go to this restaurant with her dad and stepmom and her stepmom's son, Trent. Restaurant called the Winking Lizard. And the Winking Lizard was famous, this is back before hot wings were popular, for its buffalo wings. And they had many flavors of buffalo wings. And they had really, really hot buffalo wings. And so there we are, sitting at the table. Walt says, for those of you who don't know, that was my wife's dad, my father in law. He says, so Trent, should we get some hot wings? Do you like hot wings? I hear they're really hot. <laughs> Trent's like, all oh, my friends, and I get them all the time. do know. I eat those all the time. <laughs> now, see, Walt understands that just as I think the music is never too loud and never too fast, the hot wings are never too hot i love them hot i can take the paint <laughs> so walt walt knows this he orders a bucket of hot wings the hottest they got whatever they call them i don't even remember they bring us these hot wings right in a stainless steel bucket <laughs> oh, right right i mean pitted inside probably you know, you know right and we got these wings and and Walt and, and uh, Trent and on Donna, they're 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 drinking a pitcher of beer. American beer. <laughs> Gross. And Walt's eating the hot wing and I'm eating the hot wing. And Trent grabs a hot wing and takes about two bites. And you can see his eyes get big as dinner he sees in pain. And Walt looks at him and he goes, What's well, wrong, Trent? Are those kind of for you? No,
1: no, 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 no.
0: Okay. <laughs> he finishes that wing, he just grabs the pitcher of beer and he's like, oh, yes. yeah. And I'm laughing, eating my hot wing. Walt looks at Trent, grabs the bucket, shoves it under him and goes, Want another one? <laughs> something, if you're going to brag it up, that just gives life many opportunities to bust you down a few notches. (laughs) Now we learned over the last couple weeks as Paul has been talking about humility in Philippians, we know that throughout the scriptures we are reminded God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. See, I don't go around bragging about how... two keys that Paul's given us in our quest to become Christ-like, which we know is God's goal for each one of us to become like Jesus, are humility and obedience. Those are the things we've talked about. And then, last week we saw how he holds up Timothy and Epaphroditus as examples of humility and obedience so that we can see that here's a couple of completely ordinary people. There's are nothing super special about them or anything. Just ordinary folks like us who were living out humility and obedience they were becoming like Jesus now we're up to chapter 3 of Philippians and we get some indication of how Paul himself thinks about his own spiritual growth how did Paul become the man of God that we know him as because of course when we think of Paul we kind like, of think Paul—he's like this spiritual giant right I mean he wrote a third of the New Testament I didn't write any of the New Testament I'm lucky when I can read the New Testament, let alone be writing any of it. He started many of the first churches. He went to places and planted churches where they'd never even heard the name of Jesus. That's impressive. But we're about to find out that Paul sees himself very differently from the way we see it. And in Philippians chapter 3, he sort of shares with us his own process and thoughts on spiritual growth. Now, it starts in verse 1 of chapter 3, where he talks about his source of joy. He says, "Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you is no trouble to me, and it is safe for you. Because he's already told us to rejoice before. And in fact, later on, he's going to tell us to rejoice again. So you might want to take note of that. We're supposed to rejoice. He starts with this attitude of joy. Not for his circumstances, right? He's in prison. But because of the Lord and his work in Paul's life, he says, rejoice in the Lord. Yeah, he might be in prison, but as he pointed out in chapter 1, really being there was just another part of the mission, and God was doing great things through him, even in prison. People were being saved. He was doing exactly what God wanted him to do. See, Paul reminds us here that our primary source of joy is not meant to be our accomplishments or our stuff or even our family. I mean, it's okay to take joy in those things. They're good things. I like my family. I mean, most of the time. Sometimes, sometimes puts me on edge a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> I think I still hurt when you kicked me. I so. I still <laughs> now, now I thought you could move faster. are <laughs> 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 things. But ultimately, Paul tells us, knowing Jesus, being redeemed by him, growing to be like him, now that's a source of joy. That's a place we can rejoice. You know, if I failed at something, but I have maintained a Christ-like posture, I can find joy in that. If I lose things in this life, I'm reminded I can never lose Christ, and I can find joy in that. When other people hurt me, I'm reminded that Jesus will never leave me or forsake me, and I can find joy in that. Now if our joy then, and really the source of all things Jesus, we can understand more easily his first bit of advice, which is to put no confidence in the flesh. Look at verses 2-6. through six. He says, Look out for the dogs, look out for the evildoers, look out for those who mutilate the flesh. For we are the circumcision, who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus, and put no confidence in the flesh. Though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also. If anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh... I have more, circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, I Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, and as to righteousness under the law, blameless. they want you to also. That's why there's a warning to beware of them. In his day, there were people who wanted the Gentile Christians to follow the Pharisees' interpretation of the law. You gotta do this, you gotta do that, you gotta do this, you got that, 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 that. Now those people haven't gone away, they've just changed tactics. In our day, those kind of people are People that promote the idea that maybe you can get ahead with God by giving money. You ever notice? I always though, if you want to get ahead with God by giving money, you've got to give the money to them. Hmm. Isn't that interesting? Send you $1,000 in and get your little prayer going here. Or that by doing something, be part of something they're doing. See, I'm skeptical of any preacher or church that makes claims that there is some way of growth or some way of blessing or some way of connecting with God that they are the only ones getting it right and everybody else is wrong. Paul says to watch out for those people. It's sort of like diets, right? There are a lot of diets out there, right? It's keto diets. Mediterranean diet, carnivore diet. Yeah, I kind of like that one. <laughs> Steak all day. I mean, the vegan diet. All uh, right, lots of diets. No, no one diet is right for everyone. But every diet requires you to do some work, right? No so magic bullet. One that's going to somehow magically solve every problem and do everything, and there's no, there's no, because you're following this one that everybody else is wrong. And in all of them, you still got to put in the work if you want things to change. Now when he says flesh here, he's talking about any or all works or worldly accomplishments or status that we might think somehow gets us something with God. Psalm makes us right before God or better in God's eyes. And he points out that if there was anybody who could put confidence in their own works and status, it's him. He was a great Pharisee prior to his conversion. He was a great man of his day in the eyes of those who at that time mattered to him, the, the Jews, right? He had it all. Righteous under the law, and he was following all the rules, and he was a learned person, and, and he, was, he, was, he was out hunting down the church, right? And until he met Jesus, Saul. Why are you persecuting me? What's up? He meets Jesus. But before that, he, he, was, he was a guy who he would have said, I got knowledge. He had power and status, he had perceived. Modern parlance, he would say, we would say he was the man. But then he tells us that his attitude changed about all that. And that we need to stop trusting in our accomplishments for spiritual growth. See, these things, stuff of the flesh might get you somewhere in the world, but it's not going to get you anywhere spiritually. Paul rejects all of his past greatness, all of his accomplishments for a different course of life. He points out that he considers all of those past accomplishments to just basically be garbage. Verses seven, starting at verse seven. Whatever gain I had, all that stuff he just talked about, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I might gain Christ and be found in him. <clears throat> now, I want to imagine how many of us would reject the kind of position and power Paul had to go and follow Christ to be formerly persecuted. It'd be a lot to give up. Power and status and money and fame. Remember, Of us even will swallow our pride for much of anything. I mean, half the time we barely want to admit that we were wrong about something to our spouse. <laughs> Let alone change the whole course of our life. Uh-oh. I noticed Dave looked at Gretchen really fast. <laughs> <laughs> uh-huh. The things you see from the pulpit. Don't, do Imagine just rejecting the entire of your life telling all your teachers and associates and friends and family that you guys are wrong I'm going this way and going out and becoming a traveling preacher only to wind up in prison who's gonna do this why would he do this because he realizes that in comparison to what he has in Christ all of his previous accomplishments, all his prestige, all his learning, all his zeal, it's all worthless. It means nothing compared to knowing Christ Jesus. In fact, he calls it, he calls it rubbish in our translation. You know, our translators are, are, they want to be gentle on our sensitive ears. The word there is the word for dung. He calls it poo-poo, okay? It's horse manure. Russell was all about that. Notice I never volunteered to work out by going down and you know mucking stalls or anything. That's not true. You offer help I do, kid. But I'm not shoveling any. <laughs> <laughs> I'll drive a gator. Who came and unstuck the four-wheeler? All these worldly accomplishments, and he says, these are getting me nowhere. They're they're, they're garbage. And instead, he replaces them with what I call a spiritual growth process, which I think is something that we can adopt, Paul's spiritual growth process. Look at second half of verse 9. He says, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ. The righteousness from God that depends on faith i press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. See, Paul gets where it comes from, where his redemption and everything else comes from, and it's not from anything he's done to earn or deserve it. It's not from all his following a bunch of rules, and rules about the rules, and the rules about the rules that they wrote about the rules, to make sure he didn't break the rules. I don't really understand this to understand Paul. If he'd done anything to work for earnest salvation, then his former life and, and his past, and all his status and prestige and learning and all that great stuff, it wouldn't be rubbish, it would be something profitable. And God would owe him something. But that's not how grace works. That's not how the righteousness that comes through faith works. What we get is God's unmerited favor. If you merit it, then it's not grace anymore. It's something God owes you. What we have from God is not in ourselves or in our own righteousness. It's righteousness given to us by grace through faith. And so knowing that, based on that, Paul gives us three things that he does to grow spiritually. The first of those is he seeks to know Jesus better. Paul wanted to know and experience new life every day. He wants to be intimately related to the Savior. That's his number one thing. Now you understand when he says to know him and the power of his resurrection, Paul is not talking about a set of facts or a bunch of principles or propositions. Uh, Jesus came on such and such a time, and he died on the cross. And Oh, look at how Romans crucified people. And it felt like this, and it must have been horrible like this. But yes, on the third day he rose again and da 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 da. Paul here is talking about experiential knowledge of Jesus and his work. See, so I can tell you about my wife. I can tell you about one of my daughters. I can give you, you know, information, birthday, or you know, they were born at this place, or they went to this school, or, or whatever it is. And you would know about them. No facts. That's not a relationship. Knowing someone the way Paul was talking about only happens through relationship and experience. You gotta hang out with my wife if you want to know. You gotta hang out with girls if you want to know. Doesn't happen. Just through facts. It happens when when we go through life together, when we share together talking and experiencing things, through suffering together, through seeing how Jesus works in our lives and is with us even in the worst of times, and even in the best of times. That's experiential relationship with Jesus as opposed to just knowing some facts. Now this is, of course, where all those spiritual disciplines we talked about come in, right? Remember last, was that last year we talked about spiritual disciplines? I'm getting old, see, I can't remember what year that was. I think that was early last year. We talked about spiritual disciplines, all these different things, right? Prayer, and Bible reading, and Bible study, and journaling, and meditation, and all these things. Remember, those things are for you. <clears throat> they're, not, they're not meant to be just things you check off on a list. They're things for you to grow in your relationship and to process your relationship with Jesus. They're tools that help us know Jesus more intimately, not just the facts about it. If you have a journal, you can look back and go, wow, four years ago when I was going through this, look at how God carried me through and did this in my life. If you stay in the scriptures, when something happens, you've got something to draw on to apply in your life. That's the first thing. first thing is just, it says, we're going to seek to know Jesus better. Really know Jesus. Thing. Nobody likes this next one. Is to share in his sufferings. You willing to suffer for Jesus? See, Paul. Paul, we know, is willing to die for Christ if necessary. I mean, half this letter he's talking about. Ah, my, ah, they might kill me. Might die here. It's okay. We live as Christ and die as game. Ready to go? And for many believers throughout the world, this is their present reality right now. I mean, it's not for us, and maybe we're fortunate it's not for us, or maybe we're not fortunate it's not our present reality. Maybe we need a little more suffering, I don't know. See, going through suffering is sort of like weightlifting, right, I mean, how does weightlifting work? We use resistance to stress the muscles to overload, which causes the fibers to rebuild stronger. That's a simple process. You start moving 10 pounds, and muscles build up in the neck, a few weeks later you move 20 pounds. God's resistance training plan for every one of his disciples is called sharing in his sufferings. Paul suffered all sorts of things for Christ beatings, prison, stonings, shipwreck, snake bites, being hungry, being cold, being lost. Throwing rocks at him to drive of the city. Pretty much getting kicked out of every decent city in Asia Minor. Because of all that, he can write in the next chapter of Philippians, I'm kind of jumping ahead here, preaching things to come. In verses twelve and thirteen to chapter four, he can say, I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I've learned the secret of being content in every in any and every situation. Whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or want, or whatever it might be, I can do everything through him who gives me strength. See, that I can do everything through him who gives me strength relates to suffering. I can bear up, not because I'm so great, I can just, I'm tough and I can take it. I can bear up because of Christ, and I can learn to grow because of suffering. Paul had been trained to trust Jesus through suffering all sorts of things as he followed wherever Jesus would lead him. See, we tend to seek ease wherever we can. I, I understand, I like ease. I like to sit in my chair in my office and read a book. A little steely Dan playing on the Train us some through suffering, and I I'm not saying go out and seek suffering. But I'm saying when it comes, and will, and I'm sure you know that all of you understand. You've suffered in the past. I hate to tell you this, you're going to suffer again in the future. Oh, well, we didn't come here to church to hear that. That's depressing, <laughs> right? <laughs> Preacher told us we're going to suffer. Well, yeah, just, it's the nature of life in a fallen world that at some point you're going to suffer some. day in the morning, right? But we can allow Jesus, in the midst of those sufferings, to help us to, to trust him more, and to, to experience him more, and to grow closer to him as he carries us through. Then the third thing Paul tells us is to press on to maturity. This is the hardest one to understand, I think, because he starts talking about attaining the resurrection, right? And haven't attained it yet. And you know, every time you read that, if you're like me, and he starts talking about uh, that I might attain the re- resurrection by any means, blah, 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 you know, we, we start Wait, 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 wait a minute, Paul, wait, wait, you, you're the one, Paul, yourself, who's told us, I get the resurrection as part of my new life in Christ. I've read 1 Corinthians 15, I know that I get the resurrection. Now you're telling me i got to do something to attain it? Didn't I get that when I put my faith in Christ? Well, yes, of course you did. Well, Paul's comment here is actually explained in the next verse. Because then he says, not that I've already attained this or I'm already perfect, but I press on to make it my own. Perfect there is a word we also often translate mature. And mature for a believer is just to be like Jesus. And when are you going to ultimately be like Jesus? At the resurrection. He's saying he hasn't attained Christ-like maturity yet, but he's working on it. Catch that? Paul said he has not attained Christ like maturity yet. But he's working on it. He's pressing on. He's not going to let anything stop him. Paul realizes he has not arrived. See, some people think there's something. They've heard it all, and they know it all, and they've been there, and they've done that. And whenever somebody starts to think that they've arrived, their growth curve flattens. they stagnate. I can promise us that if Paul is writing in Holy Scripture that he has not yet arrived, neither have we. This is why Paul says he presses on twice in this section. Twice he says it, then he presses on. Press on is from the root word in Greek for persecute. It has the idea of going after with a vengeance. He's going after being more like Christ with a vengeance. It's sort of like what's going to happen if you try to steal my biscuits and gravy. Uh, I will go after you with a vengeance. Nobody touches my biscuits and gravy. Paul was all in on going after Christ. Nothing was going to stop him. He was not going to give up. See, if spiritual growth was easy, everybody would do it. But it's work. Salvation isn't work. That's the grace through faith. But you becoming more like Christ requires your work, just as we talked about the other week, about cooperating with the work that the Spirit's doing in your life. It's work to prepare the soil of your heart to seek the Lord and grow in his word. It's work to pray. It takes time, it takes practice. Nobody gets good at prayer the first time they pray. But like learning or growing in anything, whether it's a sport or an instrument or a new skill, when we press on through, when we go after it with a vengeance, eventually it becomes something that's profitable and that we get better at. And the other thing Paul here also does is he released his past. Whatever good whatever bad there was, he lets it go. He's just forgetting what lies behind us. Reminds us that even the, the bad things that happened in the past, they're in the past. We can't change them. We can use them to press on more toward Jesus, to push us more toward him by learning their lessons, but they're in the past. You know, I could spend a lot of time jonesing over all the mistakes I've made as a pastor. made plenty of them. Bet I'm going to make more. Chances are good. I can learn from them and I can move on and do better and be better. I can sit and mourn them or I can use them as stepping stones to grow. Any one of us could live in this this grass of would have, could have, should have. We could find that Oh, if only I'd have done that or I should have done this or I should have said that. Or if only I wouldn't have done this. Paul says forget about it. And press on toward Jesus. In Christ, we become a new person. The past sins don't matter. The failures are not relevant except as learning experiences. I'm reminded of Thomas Edison, who remarked that every failure at least taught him what didn't work. He didn't sit around dwelling on the past failures. He used them to push him towards something that would work, that was a breakthrough. Some people are living in their past. They're dwelling on their past. They're still, they're still upset about stuff that happened 20 years ago. Don't do that. Learn from it and let it go. That's hard. I know it's hard. I'm not saying it's easy. But you've got you to learn from it and let it go. And that's part of growing closer to Christ. It's him helping you move past some of those things, learn the lessons, and not be stuck back there can't change it anyway. So you've got to press on. Last thing, don't get hung up on other people. Verses 15 and 16. Let those of us who are mature think this way, and if anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. He says think this way. All the stuff he's just talked about, the attitude of realizing we've got a long way to go, we need to press on toward Christ. That's how maturing disciples think. And if somebody has a different attitude about it or thinks differently about it, like they've arrived or they don't think that's good or whatever, Paul says, you know what? Look God I'm working out. It's okay, look how I'm working out. See, it's easy to get in the habit of spending more time worrying about everybody else's spiritual life than your own. There's like a zillion people on Twitter that just spend their time criticizing other people and their beliefs and their walk with Jesus. It's crazy. Interested in that. He's interested in pressing on, in knowing Jesus, in becoming mature. You know what? If someone wants to disagree with us, that's okay, love them. And if we disagree with someone, then that's great, disagree. But don't think we need to somehow fix everybody. We're going to disagree. But we need to be very cautious just press on ourselves and not be dragged down by constantly thinking we have to correct everyone's bad thinking or bad theology. Gotta work it out. Let him. Say your piece if you need to. There's nothing wrong with that. Especially if somebody asks you, what do you think about this? Well, I think it's wrong. Well, you said you thought it was wrong, you move on. It's okay. If there's a sin, point it out and move on. You don't you're in love. But then let it go. Learn to trust God's spirit to work more than our ability to try to just convince someone. I really don't think anybody gets argued into the kingdom of God by just constantly just You also have them wrong. I mean, I know I'm wrong about am Sure, I'm wrong about lots of things. My wife just hasn't told me what they are yet. uh, You're wrong about something. Is it going to help you grow if I just berate you about it? If I'm just on you all the time? I don't think so. In fact, if anything, it might just make you get a little more entrenched into that position. <laughs> well, the preacher was on me about this, and so now I'm I'm locking and loading, baby. I'm I'm putting in concrete. When we do, we're gonna become more like him. Be willing to let suffering be our teacher as it was Paul's. It's in suffering that we often learn to trust and see God work in amazing <laughs> ways, miraculous ways. And no matter what, press on toward Christ's likeness. Go after it with a vengeance. Let's not let anything stop us from becoming more like Jesus every day in every way possible. Let's pray. Father, Paul has told us here that really what we need to do is put developing our relationship with Jesus as number one. So stop worrying about the past, stop worrying about other people, but Jesus, number one, put our energy into that, to, to let suffering help us grow closer to him, to press on to knowing him, experiencing him in our lives. So, Father, help us to, every day, in every way possible, seek to know Jesus more, to honor him more, to grow closer to him more, to love him more, even when suffering.